Well, good morning. It's, uh, man, it's, it's an honor to be with you guys here today. Um, it is Memorial Day, and if you know Hannah and I's family, you know that uh, military is a big part of that. Um, my father served in the Air Force uh, back in the day, and uh, my father-in-law currently, uh, has, he's been in for 25 plus years, and my brother-in-law as well. And I think they would be the first ones to say that Memorial Day isn't about them. Now, Memorial Day is about those who, um, who lost their lives fighting for our country and for these freedoms that we enjoy. And I think it's important that we, uh, we take note of that. We'll be in Proverbs chapter 16 today. And my question for you is, uh, have you ever, sorry, let me get my mic here. Have you ever made an assumption about somebody or something and you realize later on um, that you weren't quite right. Maybe uh, you had a new coworker, and you were curious what they would be like in the office. Maybe a, a relative was bringing home a new, a new boyfriend or girlfriend for the first time, and you're imagining what the, the person that they, who are they with, and what are they going to be like. Maybe it's a classmate, a teammate, a new coach, and we make these assumptions, we see someone, we don't like what they wore, um, or we really like what they wore, or we see something, we see their car, and that quick, we can make up our mind um, about how we feel about them already. You know, assumptions are risky. They really are. You know, a few years ago, um, I worked at a camp, as a, a Christian camp in Livingston, Texas, called Camp Choyer, and... Um, it would have been 2012. Okay, it's getting, it's getting back there now. And there's a whole bunch of college students that, that worked on the staff from Texas and Louisiana. I think there were 75 of us or so. And I knew one other person there. My friend Cole, he was the one that got me um, to do apply at Chilier. And so that the spring semester, right before we go to camp that summer, they add us to a Facebook page. Like a Choyer staff Facebook page. And I remember thinking, I've got to get to know who these people are. I'm really, you know, you're curious about it. And so... Uh, we were on the Facebook group, and, and they would post updates or whatever in there. But I remember scrolling through and looking at all these different guys and girls. And based off of their little profile picture, I was trying to decide if they were going to be my friends or not. Would they like me? Would I like them? Are we into the same thing? All off a little profile picture. Maybe you see some of their posts, maybe you don't. I know there's people in the room who have done the same thing. Maybe when you were young, um, you saw someone from a distance, and in an instant, you had a crush, and you decided that y'all's life together is going to be incredible. They just don't know it yet. Right? We make these assumptions, and assumptions are risky, yet we make them all the time. And so my question today, kind of what we're after, is are we guilty of doing that with God? Have we taken a profile picture have we taken a, a saying that we heard once? Have we allowed these different things to shape our view of who God is? Because assumptions are risky. You know, Voltaire, um, he was an 18th century French skeptic, thinker, and writer. Once famously said that, that in the beginning, God created man in his own image. And man has been trying to repay the favor ever since. Now, now think about that with me. In the beginning, God made man in his image... And we've been trying to do the same thing ever since. Sometimes we mistakenly think God is just a better version of me. No, but God's word tells us something so much better. We have this picture of God that's been curated in our mind. Maybe it's passed down. Maybe we were taught 
Maybe we picked it up. Maybe we prayed for something to happen and God didn't move or he didn't heal our loved one or whatever it is. And we create this profile picture of God and we have these assumptions about who he is. But I want you to know the teacher in Proverbs in chapter 16 tells us something so much better. And the truth is how we view God and how we understand God matters. Because a misinformed view of God leads to the mistreatment and to the harm of his creation. A misinformed view of God leads to the mistreatment and to the harm of God's creation. Like I said, Proverbs 16, would y'all read um, verses 1 through 9 with me this morning? It says, The reflections of the heart belong to mankind, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. All the person's ways seem right to him, but the Lord weighs the motives. Commit your activities to the Lord, and your plans will be established. The Lord has prepared everything for his purpose, even the wicked for the day of disaster. Everyone with a proud heart is detestable to the Lord, but rest assured, he will not go unpunished. Iniquity is toned for by loyalty and faithfulness, and one turns from evil by the fear of the Lord. When a person's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Better a little with righteousness than great income with injustice. A person's heart plans his way, but the Lord determines his steps. Would you guys pray with me this morning? Father God, we need, we need your wisdom. We need your light. We need your provision. God, we want to be dependent on you. And I pray today as we look at, at this text and what it means for us as followers of you, what it means for us as, as creatures, as created beings, that, um, Lord, you would speak specifically to each of our hearts today. God, I pray that um, you would encourage those who need encouragement God, that you would quicken those that need to be made quick, that you would wake us up to to see your truth. And Jesus, may we always recognize, um, Lord, your great sacrifice for us, but also our incredible need for it. We love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I think the idea here today is that when we approach God's word in humility... His wisdom can and will transform and inform our thinking. But we have to approach it with humility, right? We have to approach it in a a teachable posture, in a way that wants God's word to shape and form us. And so the first thing we see in this passage, I want to say that that we see that God is sovereign. He's supreme. He's over all things. Again, read with me verse 1. It says, The reflections of the heart belong to mankind, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. And then verse 4 says, The Lord has prepared everything for his purpose, even the wicked for the day of disaster. It's clear from from these readings that the Lord is the main point. I don't know if you're counting or not, but we read nine verses, and eight of them, they don't talk about mankind, they talk about the Lord's traits. Who is this God that we serve? Well, this is what he's like. He is sovereign. He's supreme. He's over all things. 
He's inevitable. He's inescapable. We think we live our life in a better way or without him, but really it's always under his supervision. It's always under his, his care and his watchful eye. So when we try to call the shots from our limited, from our bias, from our sinful, like just our sin-soaked perspectives, when we call the shots in our own life, we harm other people. We harm ourselves and we harm other people because we're not cut out for that job. Our pride wants us to think that we are, but God's word says that we're not. Now we're called to be reflections of Christ to this world. That's why I think I shared that, that Voltaire quote with you guys. Because we really do this, like, this odd thing where we think um, what Jesus looks like. Or we try to make, make God in our image. But, but Jesus says, hey, no, you follow me and you be like me. I don't fit into your, your metric or your paradigm, but you're supposed to follow me. And the Greeks, with their mythology, they were guilty of, of doing the exact same thing. Um, you know, the Greek mythology, they, they had many, many gods. They were immortal. They had different powers. But they were also kind of just like violent and over-sexualized. And they weren't great people or gods for that matter. But have you ever seen what a Greek god looked like? You ever seen their statues up here? You will in a second, I promise. What do they look like? They look like us. They look like us with a six-pack, okay? Like, they're Greek gods. They're better versions of ourselves. And if God is just like us, then I think it gives us permission to live however we want to live. Right? My way goes. And the idea is that God does not look just like us. We are made in his image. Don't get me wrong. But we are distinctly different. He is distinctly different from us. So in this passage of scripture, we see that God is sovereign. And the teacher reminds us that God is not just a better version of you. And even one day when we are we're standing in glory, we'll be made sinless and without flaw, but we'll never be just like God. He is supreme. He's eternal. He's inescapable. And how we view God matters because a misinformed view of God is going to lead to the mistreatment of his creation. So we need to have a proper idea. We need to have an informed idea of who God is. The second thing we see is that God is creator and we are creature. Humility will always be aware of this distinction. That God (laughs) created all things and we're made in his image, but we are created. Right? There's distinction between um, this distinction between creator and created. And it's clear, even though our pride wants us to think that it's kind of blurred, but it's clear who the creator is. And it's crucial for our relationship with the Lord, um, and it's crucial for our relationship with people around us. Right? It works on a a level between us and who God is, but also um, how we see ourselves and how we see the people around us. Reminder that um, the person that frustrates me the most or the person that's most offensive that I see on the news was made in God's image just like I am. It doesn't mean I have to like what they're about, but I have to recognize that in the same way God um, carefully knit me together in my mother's womb with intention and in his image, he did for them too. God is creator, we are creature. 
Verse 2 shows us well when it says that um, all a person's ways seem right to him, but the Lord weighs the motives. Mankind has this exterior picture, this perspective that it looks pretty good, but you know what the Creator does? He can look straight through it. He can evaluate it for what it actually is. Verse 9 says that a person's heart plans his way, but the Lord determines his steps. We have our idea of where we're going to go, what the right move is, what needs to happen in our church or in our school or whatever. And we have these, these grand ideas, but God directs the steps. He is creator, we are creature. I think too often we reverse these roles and we want to make our plans and we want to handle our business. And then we invite God into it. Okay, instead of seeking what God's will is, I say, well, I'm going to get married, I'm going to have kids, I'm going to have this good job, and I'm going to give to the church, and Lord, won't you bless that for me? Jesus, you are welcome to come into my life and make all my dreams come true. No, we ask him to to come in and um, support our vision, as if we're creator, if we're the ones that direct the steps, or we're the ones that call the shots. That's not how it works. The scripture shows us a better way. That man plans and the Lord directs. Man plots, but the Lord weighs the motives. In short, we answer to God. God does not answer to us. He is the authority. If we're going to be learners, we have to recognize that. I mean, imagine with me how ridiculous it would be if a high school athlete shows up to practice that day. Or shows up to the game. I mean, I remember when I played baseball growing up, okay? And so we'd show up to our game about an hour before, and we, we had our warm-ups, right? You would warm-up jog, you would stretch, you would throw, you'd warm up your arm, and you'd take some batting practice, right? What if I showed up and I said, hey, coach, I'm actually feeling pretty good today. I'm not going to stretch. And I don't really want to run either. No, I threw yesterday. Coach, don't worry about it. Just trust me. I've got this. Um, you walk into the dugout, and I see that I'm batting eighth. Coach, I'm going to bat fourth today. I'm feeling pretty good. Oh, you have me playing third base? I'd really rather play shortstop today. I mean, can you, our world doesn't operate like that. Would that player get playing time that day? My team, I wouldn't have. I would have been lucky to sit on the bench the rest of the game. That's how ludicrous this idea is. And we wouldn't show up or we wouldn't expect our kid to show up to practice and to tell their coach or to tell their teacher or to tell their boss everything they need to do. But we do it with God all the time. It's similar in our walk with the Lord. And I think that's why in the beginning of the book of Proverbs, right, this whole book of wisdom, it tells us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We talked about that with the students a couple weeks ago of really trying to understand what is the, what is the fear of the Lord because it's not just being afraid of God but this healthy respect and if I don't have that healthy respect if I don't fear the Lord then pretty much what I'm saying is I don't have anything to learn from you God. I don't have anything to learn from you. I'm not going to be teachable. That's why fear of the Lord is a prerequisite for wisdom because you've got to let the Lord inform your thinking and to do that you've got to know who the Lord is. He's not you with a six-pack. No, he's creator. He's above all things. He's supreme. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Surrendering your plan is the beginning of wisdom. 
Letting go of your self-idolatry is the beginning of wisdom. And we show up to church day, week after week, day after day. We grow up in the church and we wonder why we're not growing in wisdom. But we fail to recognize that we're not really here to learn. We, we fail to recognize that we're not really here to learn. We show up. We don't have the humility to listen. All we have ears is for what we think is already true. Tell me what I want to hear. There's a million different news networks out there. You know which one you pick a lot is the one that tells you what you want to hear. There's a lot of friends on social media, but you know the ones that you block and delete are the ones who say stuff you don't want to hear. And I think sometimes we do the same thing at church as we show up and we say, hey God, um, I want you to affirm these plans that I have and I want you to check these boxes of what I already believe to be true, but don't, don't shake it up too much. I'm pretty cozy. And he says, nope, that's not how wisdom starts. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We've got to remember who we belong to as Christians and we've got to remember who we answer to. We are free in Christ. We're totally free in Christ. Don't get me wrong, okay? But we are submitted beneath the will of God. That's where we ought to be. I think it's helpful here, too, um, just as we're moving on, to recognize that um, the illusion for control in our life is really, really deceptive. It looks good. I know I'm not the only one who... uh, has those thoughts while you're driving down the road. Man, if they would just let me handle this, it would turn out so much better. Y'all ever been there before? I know it's not just me. Don't leave me hanging, okay? Or, you know what happens? They asked her, they asked him. The illusion of control is so deceptive, but it's a grace of God that he doesn't put you in that spot of authority because you're not ready for it. He says, hey, you're a created being. Don't try to do the things that God does. No, know who you are. Know who you belong to. Know your role. The illusion of control is so attractive and appealing, but we're really not cut out to handle it. And how we relate to God matters because when we misinform or we miscreate this idea of God in our mind, it leads to the harm of the people around us. It hurts ourselves and it hurts the people around us. So we see that, that God is both um, sovereign over all things, we see that He's creator and creature. I think this passage also makes clear that, that God is present and active. Verse 3 says, Commit your activities to the Lord and your plans will be established. And when a person's heart pleases the Lord, or sorry, when a person's way pleases the Lord, this is verse 7, he makes even his enemies be at peace with him. So in this section of scripture, we see both the, the cosmic, the overall things, supremacy of God and we also see the the momentary in this room in your heart level of care that the Lord has do y'all see how he's both vast beyond our understanding and also right here in the room with us how he's aware of the thing you haven't told anybody else he's outside of time he created all things but he knows your heart and he wants to direct your steps and he wants to bring peace And when we live in a way that honors him, that's incredible to me. 
Going back to, to, to Greek mythology, um, they had this idea of who the gods were, and they were all off in other places and far away, and they just didn't care. <laughs> and we have a God who's actually God. He's supreme over all things, and yet he, he, can, he can be with us in a specific moment, in a specific place. I think, too, it's helpful to remember that while Proverbs does contain, okay, the book of Proverbs does contain promises, not all Proverbs are promises, okay? We've learned they're kind of like, they're, they're guidelines, they're general principles of life. I had it explained to me this way. Uh, even, you know, you drive down the highway and there's a steep turn coming up, and they have the signs that have the arrow, just in case you don't know which way the road's going, and then it'll put like a speed limit, Right? Okay, have, raise your hand if you've ever gone over the speed limit. Okay, I'm just kidding. Um, but for real, this turn, it says, hey, take this turn at 45 miles an hour. What happens if you take the turn at 50, at 55? I'll admit, I've done it before. Turned out fine. But guess what? The wisdom is saying, hey, um, take your chances if you want to. But the faster you go, the more likely you are to fly off the road and hurt yourself or hurt somebody else. And maybe last time you were just fine, even though you flew around this corner, but it doesn't guarantee that this time you will be. No, the wisdom matches the statistics in saying, hey, the faster you go, the more likely you are to end up hurting yourself or somebody else. Proverbs operate like those signposts, like those guidelines. They're saying, hey... um, (laughs) Maybe you'll be okay once or twice or even the third time, but don't go thinking that this way of life goes unpunished. Or don't go thinking that you're going to end up with um, all the things you want if you go this direction. No, there's two ways in Proverbs. There's life and there's death. Okay, there's God's way and there's man's way. The point I think the teacher wants us to get is that God is both eternally existing and perfectly present. God is among us. He's among his people. He's outside of time. He's above all things. And he's present in this moment. He's present. He's perfectly present. He's actively aware. I had a friend recently um, share something on Facebook, and it was a, uh, uh, you ever seen like a, a TV show, or there's something happens in your life, and you're like, oh, that, that would preach. There's a spiritual lesson, right? In the Bible, we call them parables, okay? There's a spiritual lesson to this. My friend said that he saw a scene on TV, and he thought it was a powerful word picture. A baby elk is laying hidden in the tall grass, And Mother Elk has moved into the open field, away from the baby, into the open field to distract a wolf that's prowling around. He says the baby's fate will be determined by a decision to be still and to trust, to trust that his mother is taking care of him, even if she's away, or to give in to fear to get up and to run. It's a decision, he says, we have to make every day. 
Sometimes we feel like that baby in the tall grass. We thought God was here and it feels like he's not. We felt protected and now we feel exposed. We're stuck in the tall grass and we don't know if, did, did mom leave because she knows we're about to die? <laughs> or did she leave because she's taking care of me? We're stuck in this tall grass. We can't see out. We can't see what God can see. No, we're limited because we're creatures. And God is created. He's over all things. And so we have that decision to make sometimes, really every day in life. Can I lay in the tall grass? Can I trust that God has me where he needs me in this season right now? Can I trust that he hasn't abandoned me? That he hasn't left me for dead? But this situation or this outcome is ultimately for, for my good. Totally unaware of the threat that's out there. No, the mom goes to handle it. She goes to distract the wolf so that the baby's safe. And we just don't know what the Lord is up to. But here's the thing. His care is constant. And his eye is always watchful. Even when we can't see how or why. And I think sometimes in our lust for control, we need these reminders to to stop And to trust him. I need the signpost telling me there's a turn up ahead. I need the fear of the Lord in my life. And to remember that I need his wisdom. He doesn't need my opinion. Sometimes I just need to sit in that tall grass and wait for him um, to return and to tell me the coast is clear. But I promise you that he's in that moment. His care is constant and his eye is watchful. So I've told you a few times today that a misinformed view of God leads to the mistreatment and to the harm of God's creation. I think that's true. I think that's what this passage is saying. But here's the good news. The opposite of that is true as well. A properly informed view of God leads to the just treatment and to the flourishing of his creation. That's good news. That a properly informed view of God leads to the just treatment and to the flourishing of his creation. So then, how do we develop how do we develop and maintain a proper view of God? And we can start by recognizing and yielding to these truths to the wisdom revealed in the passage today. Wisdom that applies um, to any life stage, to any role in the family. Wisdom that applies to being a child of God. Recognize and yield to these truths. God is sovereign, he's in control, and he's trustworthy. God is the creator, and you are his creature. Don't try to carry what wasn't meant for you to bear. Third thing, God is actively aware and powerfully present. He cares for you. From outside of time, (laughs) from the beginning of creation, all the way into the future, however far it goes, to right here in this room. 
in this moment. God cares for you. So when we read Proverbs 16, I think what we have is an opportunity. We have an invitation to kind of test or evaluate our view of who God is. And let me tell you, I need these reminders too. Sometimes I make assumptions or I let colloquialisms define who God is or what he's about. Um, But really we should let God's word do that. So don't let assumptions, don't let profile pictures, don't let first impressions... Don't let those things dictate your theology or your view of who God is. Instead, look to Scripture. We read in 2 Timothy that that all Scripture is inspired by God. And it's profitable for, for teaching, for correcting, for rebuking, and for training in righteousness. So that the person of God may be fully equipped for every good work. No, God's word will inform you of who God really is. And if we spend time in it, and if we spend time sitting underneath teaching, and we spend time learning and yielding to God's word, it's like a strainer, like a mesh strainer that comes through like old grease that fried something. And it's pulling out all those burnt up crispy bits that aren't really supposed to be in there. So God's word sweeps through. And it strains out the the gnats and the old stuff. And then you're left with a purer view of who God is. A better understanding. And that's important. Because as image bearers, as Christians, we reflect the God we serve. He doesn't reflect us. We don't get to make him into our image. No, he's made us in his image. Because we're supposed to be reflections of who God is. We're reflections of who Jesus was when he was on earth. And who he still is now. At the right hand of the Father. So don't let, us, don't let assumptions shape your idea. Instead, look to Scripture. The band's going to come back up here in just a minute and conclude us with some songs. But I want us to take a minute and just uh, to sit and to think about who, who God is and our view of him. I know the prospect of control, it really is, it's so deceptive, it's so appealing, it's so attractive to us, but we're not cut out to handle it. So don't buy the lie. Instead, rest in these truths, that God is sovereign, he's in control, he's trustworthy, he's the creator, you're his creature, and he's actively aware and he's powerfully present. Today, right now, in this room, what to this point has shaped your view or your idea of who God is? And does that need to be corrected? The good news, we can seek his face together today. We can let his Holy Spirit sweep through. We can let it do its work in our heart and strain out either the ways that I've gotten off track, times where my pride is in control, and also he can correct our view. He can, he can restore maybe a faulty image. I just don't want you to leave here today with a, a profile picture view of who God is. No, I want you to know him. I want you to be familiar. I want us to learn about him together. Maybe you're frustrated or you're hurt because you feel like God hasn't held up his end of the deal. 
Maybe you heard when you were young that a Christian life was an easy life. or so, I, I don't know. Someone told you something along the way, and you're realizing now either God doesn't love you as much as they said, or they were wrong, whatever it is. I'll be honest, I can't pretend to know why God allows certain things to happen to us. There's plenty of situations in this room that I don't have a good answer for. But I do know that God is both actively aware and perfectly present. I know that He sees, I know that He loves His creatures. I know that he loves his church. I know he's able. I know that sometimes I'm stuck in the tall grass and I can't really see what's going on and I don't feel like he's taking care of me the way I want him to. But we got to trust him. He's God. He's supreme. He's trustworthy. Today, I want you to know that he cares for you. And so whatever you've been holding on to, or whatever you felt like was, was your burden to bear because of poor choices in the past or whatever happened to you, you can lay those down today and see what God can do with them. He's rest for your soul. You just got to trust him with it. Perhaps you're in a spot of life where you need wisdom to navigate certain challenges right now. Hannah and I just became parents. If I've ever known I needed wisdom, okay, it's right now. If you need wisdom, if there's relationships, if there's family members, if there's, if there's turmoil in your life, and you need God's wisdom, you're not weak for admitting that. No, you're actually on the right path because humility I think is what kind of stirs up fear of the Lord. And fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Just admitting that you need, that you need God's presence, that you need his wisdom, is a powerful start. Maybe you've never trusted him with with your life. You've heard about it. You've thought about it. If you need to follow him in baptism, if you need to put your faith in him, if you just need um, a congregation to to run along to encourage with you and to remind you that um, it's okay, you don't have the answers on your own, God does. Whatever your response needs to be, this is your opportunity. I don't want us to have a misinformed view of God. I don't want us to do harm because we we have the wrong idea about who God is or what he looks like. Correct, orient your view, confess where you've fallen short, whatever your response needs to be. I'd love to pray with you. I know there's other people in the church that would too. Would you guys stand with me and I'll pray for us? Heavenly Father, 
Lord, we recognize in this moment our tremendous need for you. God, for forgiveness of sins, for wisdom, for life itself.